0: Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham.
1: Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham coming at you today, nearly live from Ottawa, Ontario. Great episode for you today. It's the middle of the summer, so what is there better to talk about than the world of curling? Yeah, this is an episode that we did over on the Game of Stones podcast last week, and I wanted to share it here because it goes into the early history of the sport and some of the basic things that happen on a curling sheet and how in their time they were pretty controversial. So we go back, we look at the evolution of the stones, the actual idea to put a rotation on the stone that was controversial at the time. Then we talk about Ken Watson, the long slide and how that was perceived by some as cheating. And then we get into the evolution of brooms and how some developments in broom technology were deemed okay others not so much and we try to look at why that is the case so over the course of this episode we have three categories of innovation in the sport one example of how an innovation was deemed as okay within what is known as the spirit of curling which is a very vague term to describe the unwritten rules of the sport and then another innovation that was deemed to go against the spirit of curling and was even deemed to be cheating by some people in the sport and why that is the case. So, as I said, this is an episode of the Game of Stones podcast that I do with my brother, Scott, every week. We release those episodes on Tuesdays. So if you're interested in all things curling, you can check those out, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. But this one is very specific to history and uh, a type of history that I'm quite fascinated in. So I just wanted to share this one because I I had so much fun putting it together and we got a lot of great feedback over on the Curling Twitter about this episode and really wanted to share it with all of you here on the History of Slam. So without any further ado, let us get right in to our discussion on innovation or cheating in curling. I don't know if it's come up on the show before, but I'm a historian
0: by training. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, and so you were thinking about uh, some history of curling things that we could talk about.
1: Yeah, so this has come up in my job, in my professional career, not recently, but but in the past few years. That uh, Ken Watson is a nationally recognized, nationally designated historic person as part of our national program of commemoration. I believe he's the only curler who has been designated as such. And Mm. it occurred to me that when I was looking through the report on on Ken Watson, that there's this interesting note to his career, and we're going to talk about him, but that he was a, a somewhat controversial figure. And it dawned on me that there are a lot of innovations within curling and technological advancements in the sport that are controversial, that that some people think break the spirit of the game or some people even accuse opponents of cheating when they use these new technologies. And it struck me that why is that the case for some innovations and some technologies where other things that come along are just deemed to be okay and the the natural evolution of the sport? And I wanted to explore a few of these within some themes that I've identified and the innovations that fit within those themes. And and we have an example in each case of one that was controversial and one that was not. And I want to think about this within the idea of the spirit of curling and some larger questions. I won't go too deep into this, but there's a few terms that I deal with in my own personal historical research of technological determinism, which is basically the idea that Oh, a technology comes along and it gets used in the way that it was intended. People tend mm-hmm. to think that. So it's a case where you say, well, of course, we use the Internet the way we use the Internet. That's the way it was going to be. But no, like these are conscious mm-hmm. choices that tend to get made. And the, the example that often gets used is nuclear energy. You know, the, the technology and the development of the technology was intended to create energy for the world. And then somebody said, hey, we could put this in a bomb. Mm -hmm. Right, and and so the the technology isn't actually determining it; it's human beings who are determining the the use of the technology. Right, so that's one case. Then the other cases, or the other terms that I think are important to this are resistance to technology. This is a theme that emerges, and I am a historian of radio, and this comes up frequently as as new technology comes in place certainly in the case of radio but you see it across all technologies that there is a segment of the population that is always going to be resistant to it so in the case of radio there was a a world's fair in the 1920s and this elderly woman came to the desk where they were demonstrating radio and she did not believe that there was a wireless signal that was producing the sound out of this box she mm. accused them of being magicians and said, there's obviously somebody somewhere. And they let her search around the whole booth, couldn't find anything, couldn't find any wires. And they continued to play the radio. And she ultimately determined that it was a ghost or some sort of witchcraft mm. that was creating this. And and, and this is sort of a, a fun story that is often used to show that there's this resistance. There's a disbelief at times. And you see it at every step. Along the way of technology, you even think with the vaccine rollout in Ontario, it was all mm. online and digital. And there were people saying, well, how are 90 year olds going to use this? Because there's this belief or this stereotype that elderly folks or the older you are, the more resistant to new technology you can be. Yeah. So this just comes up with all new technology. That there's always going to be a segment of the population that is hesitant, and then you have the social construction of that technology in terms of mm-hmm. how it's used and the the value and the morals or the ethics of how you use it. And this is really what bioethicists do all day, is trying to determine socially what is acceptable when
0: we when we use new forms of technology. Right, so, and a lot of things that are used in a, a certain way weren't developed to be used that way, right? Exactly. And, And it's just, hey, we thought of using it this way. So that's what we do.
1: Yeah. So all of these things come together in curling, I think, when when we have these new innovations. and And we have to think about them within the spirit of curling. So I pulled from the World Curling Federation their definition or their summary of what the spirit of curling is. And what they say is that the spirit of curling is a commonly used term in the sport referring to the respect curlers show not to one another or not only to one another, excuse me, but also to the sport itself. It is encapsulated by the saying that a curler would rather lose than win unfairly. Now, Scott, do you think that that is a, an accurate summary of the way a majority of the curlers who at least you have come into contact with Mm -hmm. would define the spirit of curling?
0: I think that's a very good definition. Yeah. I, most people that I've played against or played with, you know, would rather enforce the rules than than not. Uh, the The Royal Montreal Club, which I belong to, uh, had a saying, but I don't remember what it is. But it was something <laughs> about uh, the sport being fair and manly.
1: Yes, <laughs> it's a manly sport.
0: Yeah. I think they've scrubbed all, oh, how social the game and how manly. Right. Yes. So, uh, y- yeah, you want to maintain it, a social aspect of the game, right? So you, you don't want to make your opponent so angry that they don't want to have a beer with you after the game. Right. And that's uh, what I think a lot of people would, would agree that that's spirit of curling.
1: Right. And so then you have moments where things are deemed to be outside of that spirit. So, yeah let's talk about a couple of these things so i'm going to start with the basics of the sport the things that are core to the sport Mm -hmm. one new innovation was deemed totally okay within the spirit another not within the spirit so the one that is within the spirit is the stones and the evolution of the stones themselves so early Mm -hmm. on and we're talking 16th century here you have different types of stones. so three types of stones the cutting stone the cuddy stain the pilicock or the luffy depending on how you uh, on the terminology you use and these were just big stones, stones that could range anywhere from five to 25 pounds no handles on the stones they would have hollow spaces for your fingers that are kind of like a bowling ball mm-hmm. and you would just push them down the
0: ice or uh, you you'd even throw them up a bit right because yeah. uh, the sheet or whatever you call it It wasn't as big wasn't as long so you know you try to get it down there uh similar to bowling or bocce
1: yeah and no standard length of the curling sheet either because you know in scotland at least you're on these frozen locks and they differ in size Mm -hmm. so each locality would have different rules for how long it would be and then around 1650 You start to see the rough block and these were channel stones with a handle. They were bulkier and heavier than early stones. And what you would start to see is that players would start to take stones out of the bed of a stream. Now, the benefit of taking them out of the bed of a stream is that as water goes over them, they are smoothed out naturally Mm -hmm. by the water and So you have these smoother stones, and then players would take a piece of iron, a bent piece of iron, and put it on the top of the stone as a handle. So those are the first handles that you get. So this changed from essentially a a rock bowling ball of sorts to something that is a rough approximation of a modern curling stone. No problem here. Weight still up in the air, anywhere from around 20 to 115 pounds. But no problems here with this change within this war. No real resistance from everything that I've been able to find.
0: No, and and you know, as you want to play against maybe other another town, right? Uh, you can take your own stones. Mm-hmm. So it's it's fine. However much they weigh, there's no standardization.
1: Right. So. From there, around the 1800s into that 19th century, that's where you start to get the circular stone, and then you start to see exclusively granite stones. Uh, and then, as you get through the century, and certainly into the 20th century, the rounded, polished stones. If you go back to the Men with Brooms essay that he gives, you know, mm-hmm. beveled underbelly, all that kind, all that fun stuff, right? The 42 pounds, a standardized stone, and no longer are you bringing your own stones to a competition they're going Mm -hmm. to be at the club they're going to be at the event and now we have just a full standardization so at no point in this process is anybody saying this really goes against the spirit of what the sport is even though when you're bringing your own stones there is the possibility that you could have tricked up your stones uh, to actually cheat Uh, but there's really no discussion of that so this whole evolution of the stone from rock bowling ball to standardized 42 pounds made of two very specific types of granite with standardized handles. This is all okay. This is a natural innovation. These are natural evolutions of the sport. And and no point does this technological development challenge the idea of the spirit of curling.
0: Right. This is sort of the natural evolution of curling towards something more standardized so that you can play the game at a, at a bigger scale.
1: Yes. And, and I, I think, I think part of that too is early curling was now. I don't, I don't know botch you well enough, but you're not hitting a lot in that. It's right. You're just trying to get it closest to the thing. So early curling was really just a draw fest. No hitting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All that's okay. Now, here's an example of a basic thing to the sport that was very controversial at the time, and uh, apparently led to some fisticuffs.
0: So, yeah. So, so what is that, Sean? So
1: this is the development of the in and the out turn, which right, very basic to the sport now.
0: Yeah. It's just you have to do one or the other, right?
1: Yeah. It's the rotation on the stone, but early on in curling, 16th, 17th century the idea or the goal would be to just throw a straight stone. And there are are sources that indicate that your quality as a player was judged entirely on how straight your stone went. And Mm. if it actually moved a bit, that was deemed as not ideal and it, it lessened your stock as a player.
0: Okay, really?
1: So players in Fennec... In the late 1700s, discovered that if you put a rotation on the handle, if you turned the handle of the stone, you could get around an opposition rock, as you see now, as is kind of the whole point of the modern game. (laughs) Yeah. But this caused a stir amongst the opponents and people from other places than Fennec who felt that this went against the spirit of the game. And the argument again was that the the sport was dependent on being a straight shooter. And I think that's probably also symbolic, you know, you're a straight Mm -hmm. shooter. And so bending around, coming around, that that was deemed to be perhaps not manly. If you go to that Montreal Royal Montreal saying, Mm -hmm. but it was so successful that other players started to learn the technique and that even though it was deemed kind of against the spirit it was just so good and so effective that you had to use it. So there, there, now there's another account as to when this happened. Uh, there's, a, there's an account saying it happened in 1806 by William Bell, who played at the Bucking Club in the early part of the uh, 19th century. And that players from that club became successful. Now there's doubt on both of these accounts Mm. Uh, as to when these actually occurred and what was the first. But the thing that is absolutely certain is that before the 18th century, the key to success in this sport was throwing the stone straight.
0: Right. So this is is, uh, an example of something where someone found, for lack of a better word, a loophole to be able to play the game in a a totally different way but that gave them such a huge advantage over their opponents, right?
1: Right. Well, there's no rule against it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so I, w- I, w- I would assume then people would try to be throwing it straight. And if they put too much turn on it by accident, it would go to the sides and thus not be a very good shot. And then this team decided, hey, why don't we aim for the outside right? and try to make it curl towards the middle? Yep. And uh, that's like a eureka moment. Yeah, and it worked, right?
1: And mm-hmm. and and it's interesting too to think about this that, well, why is it called curling then? Um, right. right, right. So so that's part of the doubt on some of these stories. And there's a poem from 1620 by Henry Adamson that uses the word curling in it. And I think one of the theories is that the word curling was almost used as a as an insult. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that rock t- it curled because you didn't throw it very well. Yeah. Right. Ugh,
0: look at these guys curling all curling over here. Around. Yeah. Can't throw it straight like a real <laughs> yeah. man.
1: So, so of course now that that's absurd. The whole point of the sport is to put a turn on it. If you try to throw an, a a knuckle stone in essence
0: mm-hmm. with
1: no turn, really the, the stones, modern stones, they're just going to pick up a turn. Yeah. At some point they're, they're yeah. so sharp. So this is a case where it, it struck me is it's very interesting that the basics of the sport significant changes in both cases that kind of revolutionize the sport in one case cool this is great this is how it's going to be we're improving the sport in the other case this is ruining the
0: sport and you people are cheaters right and something so fundamental um it i wonder i I wonder why What, what what is your thought sean
1: I think because you had this established norm of throwing it straight and the, whereas the rocks can change because by necessity, they have to right? right. Like even if you want to keep the large stones that have the the holes in them, you have to get new rocks regularly because they're going to break. They're going to change just over time. That's the way rocks work. So, there's a natural changing of rocks all the time so whenever you get new rocks okay maybe we can try this or oh this slides better uh so so there's just a a natural newness to stones or or an evolution to stones that come with the need to replace them regularly whereas throwing straight you throw straight that's the sport that, right. is, that is a decision that is made. It's not forced upon you. That's a conscious choice by this team to do it, whereas it's a conscious choice to put a handle on a stone. But, hey, I have to get a new rock anyway. This thing is going to be a little easier to throw, and then everyone can do it. Like, it, it maybe it's a distinction without a difference, but it's, mm-hmm. it's the necessity of having to get a new rock that I think makes it more permissible.
0: So it, the in-and-out turns could be like the forward pass in football right right like uh, hey nobody thought about doing this before but isn't this game way more fun now <laughs> right. yeah yeah
1: yeah the the there's a necessity to the equipment of of changing the equipment yeah but there's not a necessity to put a handle on it there's not a necessity to make it lighter or to make it round there's just a necessity for a new thing and yeah. therefore it's more accepting to well let's play around with this new thing as opposed hmm. to hey, I'm a person. I'm going to change the way the sport works because I want to.
0: Right. And over time, if you're changing the sport on your own volition and beating everybody or having a lot of success, right? The sport may catch up to you.
1: Yeah. And people are going to be mad at you early on.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we'll see uh, another example we're going to talk about later where uh, either the sport decides hey that's a good idea and catches up or stops you from doing what what yeah. your innovation is
1: right yeah and uh, and you see it th- th- this is going to happen across sports too right baseball mm-hmm. shifts right yeah so
0: yeah uh, i was thinking about baseball uh, How you used to throw the ball at the runner to get him out yeah and yeah. i guess they were like uh kind of hurts yeah. to get <laughs> hit by the ball <laughs> so why don't we try something different yeah there you
1: and, go. And now people don't get hit as much. It's a win-win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So that's uh, the basics. Two examples from the basics of the sport. Now, Scott, this this next category actually has three examples. I'm so sorry. But uh, I think they're all valuable to talk about. So I want to talk mm-hmm. first about the one that is not within the spirit of the sport or was deemed at the time not to be within the spirit of the sport. And the category here that I've come up with is aesthetics slash athleticism.
0: Right. Right. So this is changing the way the athletes actually compete on the ice.
1: Yeah. So yeah. the example that I want to use here, this is Ken Watson. So again, national historic person here in Canada. Mm-hmm. He is a or was a two time Brier champion, 1928, 1929. And he discovered that you could slide out of the hack. Revolutionary, right? So Crazy. the before the hack, or it was called a crampit pit, the Scotch cram pit. It was a flat steel or iron plate. So there's no toe hold that you had. It was just basically where you had to stand or crouch mm-hmm. to release your rock. So you couldn't push off of anything because there's nothing there. It's just a piece of steel
0: on the ground or on the ice. Right, you just uh, stood there and swung, sort of sidearm, and threw your rock.
1: Yeah. So if you take it right now, you want your shoulders square to the other end, square to the skip where the with the, the broom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Olden times, you would be shifted 90 degrees for whatever okay. hand you are. And the hand away from the house would be the hand that you're throwing with. So if you're right-handed, so sort of... you would shift 90 degrees to the right, left-handed 90 degrees to the left, and kind of do sidearm across your body.
0: Okay. That's how you could get the most power yeah i was going to use
1: thrust but then i remembered that we can't use that <laughs> word after last year's uh terminology nonsense
0: so, yes not uh, not allowed no
1: so the stone would be delivered typically from the standing crouch position and across your body like that but then when you get the hack which has a toe hold in it that's when players start to square up to the other end square your shoulders, square your hips right and then mm-hmm. you're going straight out To where you want to go and you could also generate power from your lower body this way because you have something that you can push off of
0: that's right that's right but but sean tell me i don't believe you were allowed to slide as far as you are today
1: no you absolutely were not there was a rule that said you could not go past the t-line okay and and you couldn't go past the t-line it's not that you had to have it released by the t-line you couldn't go past the T-line. Wow. Yeah. So uh, Ken Watson comes along and he found that if you took the toe rubber off of your shoe, basically the toe of the gripper, mm-hmm. you could slide on the ice and they would have the the leather shoes. So you'd have a leather sole shoe and he found that you could slide. And by sliding, not only would that help you generate momentum or force on the rock, there's also an athletic uh, benefit to it that you're going to be perhaps more accurate if you're closer to where you want the stone to be when you release it, it's easier as well. Mm. Yeah, You get that extra couple feet uh, benefit from it. So he also noted that there's a a balance benefit to it. You can have a straight out, you're basically this idea of your head is behind the stone uh, that every kid gets taught now.
0: Yeah, so your aim is better? Yeah, everything is
1: better. So his team would slide out further than everybody else. And he would actually, they would start to slide out as far as the hog line. And the rule Hmm. was altered so that you had to let the stone go by the T line, but you could go as far as you wanted. Okay, okay. So this was known as the Watson slide or the Winnipeg slide. You also see the Manitoba tucks kind of evolve out of this. Watson was a flat foot slider, but the tuck is the next step in this process. Right. And right. it's, it, it's one of these things. So Ken Watson was also a, a great advocate for the sport. He wanted young people to get involved. He started high school bonds fields. So, you know, he's in the Canada sports hall of fame. He's in the curling Canadian curling hall of fame, not just for winning events, but for being a builder of the sport and being this advocate. And he found that young men who Ken Watson was trying to get into the sport, Ken Watson didn't try to recruit women. He only tried to recruit men. Uh, But the young men who he was trying to recruit found the sport more entertaining, more enjoyable, because it felt like a more athletic experience to slide out, to try to maintain your balance than Mm. just getting down, pushing your arm out. Like this, this finally started to feel to a lot of people like a sport and Resby Coots, who was the president of Curl, Manitoba, noted that there was a lot more registration from young men that they had previously had in in the pre-Second World War era. So, Hmm. you know, this Ken Watson slide really brings young people to the sport. Yet people who he was playing against did not like this.
0: Right. Because they were the older people that were from a more traditional, uh, curling background. Yes.
1: Yeah. So Ken Watson, I think I misspoke. Excuse me. Ken Watson won three briars, 36, 42, 49, a career briar record of 25 and two. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Hey. And then in 1950, when he goes to Scotland as Canada, he Mm -hmm. beats up on the Scots, like really beats up on the Scots. And there's a lot of friction, a lot of anger. Ken Watson Mm -hmm. wrote in his book in 1950, he wrote, tempers have often risen to the boiling point when curlers get into controversial arguments over the use of the sliding delivery. As my name has been associated constantly with this oft-maligned style, It is only fitting that I make some sort of attempt in these pages to defend its use and clear up any misunderstandings. And what he tries to do in the book is explain why this is a good idea, both for athletic reasons, for accuracy reasons, and just as important to him, aesthetically, it looks better to have somebody slide out of the hack than it does to have somebody crouch down and just push.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure it does.
1: Yeah. But Ken Watson, in, in in the moment, got a lot of pushback, like you mentioned, Scott, from older players from earlier mm-hmm. generations who felt that this slide out, the long slide, went against the spirit of the sport. That the sport was you get down into the hack, you aim, and you throw. The sliding thing was not what the sport was supposed to be. It wasn't the intent of the sport and just mm-hmm. really violated that ethics or the spirit of
0: the spirit a curl. of curling. Yeah. yeah. And, and something that comes to mind for me nowadays was, you know, the very beginning of the crutch, mm-hmm. uh, was something else that was thought of that. And then to go bring it further, uh, thinking about using sticks, uh, initially there's a lot of resistance from people to use a stick and they would rather not play. Sure. You know, if they injure themselves, then go out and use a stick. But Nowadays, I would say it's fine. I, I don't think there's much uh, stigma to it at all. No, not anymore. Exactly. I mean, we got our our uh, heads beat in by a team of old ladies with sticks once. And uh, so I was like, hey, these sticks should be illegal because uh, <laughs> they're beating us. But, right. uh, but no. Uh, so yeah, it, it very much follows from this same uh, evolution, the, the long slide.
1: Yeah. So there's two examples here, one aesthetic and one athletic that are not deemed to be outside of the spirit of the rules. So the first one I would say is fitness and the idea of curlers as athletes. And this is, to be fair, mostly on front ends, especially if you're thinking about Marcel Rock and uh, Pfeiffer, Scott Pfeiffer, Mm -hmm. that they were, I think, are, are somewhat widely acknowledged as the first front end to really put an emphasis on fitness and getting into the gym. I remember a, an interview with Randy Furby during their run of Briars, where Randy Furby was asked about the fitness side of it. And he said, yeah, those guys really hit the gym hard. And, and the interviewer said, what about you? And he said, yeah, those guys really hit the gym hard. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and that was deemed okay. Right. These guys are athletic. They're getting an advantage over everybody else, but it's because of hard work. And yeah, you know, that gets perfected. I would argue by Hebert and Kennedy. And now at this point of modern curling, if you want to be competitive at the elite level, hell, even in some cases at at a recreational level at a, if you want to win your club championship, you have Mm -hmm. to be in pretty good shape as a front end player. So the idea of gaining an advantage in that way, I think is seen more as well. you're putting in the work, but I think you can make the same case with Ken Watson that anyone who's tried to slide out knows that that's not really easy to do. You have to work on that and Mm -hmm. your advantage is coming in part, but from your athleticism, your ability to maintain your balance. But in Ken Watson's case, it was against the spirit, but for these guys hitting the gym, that's totally within the spirit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, that's a really interesting dichotomy. Uh, I'm trying to think maybe because becoming more fit is something that's accessible to everybody. Whereas maybe when sliding was beginning, it was like, Oh my God, I can't do that. Right. How, How am I supposed to do that? Whereas, you know, going to the gym, getting a little more in shape, a little more strength, uh, was possible. So maybe that's one reason for the difference.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good point. Yeah.
0: Thanks. <laughs> so
1: uh, so the other case, so the aesthetic case, so the aesthetic comp that I think was totally within the spirit and actually celebrated by a lot of people, including mm-hmm. players, was time clocks. So games were taking very long, and there are certainly mm-hmm. people out there on tour today who – if you left them to their own devices, the ice would melt before they made a decision on what shot to play. So there was research in the idea of time clock starts in 1983. TSN puts them into the 1986 skins game. And this makes sense, right? TSN and then CBC, who are showing the games in Canada, they don't want four, four and a half hour games, or at the very least, they don't want games where they don't know roughly how long it's going to go. In in television, you want to know with some certainty how long this block of programming is going to be. So Mm -hmm. TSN puts it into place in the 1986 skins game, proves to be extremely popular with fans. It keeps a good pace to the game. And then the International Curling Federation, now the WCF, they put them into the rules in 1989. Not coincidentally, the same year that the men's and the women's world championships were put together in the same venue. And the time clocks were deemed to be a way that you could control length of games and ensure that one draw would in fact be done by the time the next draw was scheduled to start and that you could have whatever maintenance in between the draws. So you you have those put in place. There is some frustration. This is the running time rules, the mm-hmm. 73 minutes. In the 1990s, Patty Wutrich started to look into ways to make rules more equitable and she and was the first to suggest thinking time. And right. Put that idea of okay, only run the clocks when the think cuz that's what delays the game really. It's not so much the shooting.
0: Yeah, so the, it was you know, teams who were playing more draws, maybe trying to come back were at a more of a disadvantage than teams that were hitting that were ahead.
1: Yeah. And and certainly we saw that in the early aughts a lot of teams even agreeing, say, hey, it's the seventh end. We're both short on time. We'll just play this one up and down, okay? And yeah, Okay, great. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so it, it does become a problem on the running time. It, it took a while for it to be adopted because initially in 1989 and then those first years, it did speed up the game. So it was working right. initially. And then players found these loopholes or these ways to somewhat work around it. And the first event to use thinking time that I could find it was the ninth, was the 2011 Manitoba Provincial Championship. Makes sense. Hmm. Patty Woodrick. And yep. then it gets put into WCF play for the first time in 2014. And as you mentioned, Scott, part of the reason is you want to encourage aggressive play. You want to encourage more draws. Give teams that are behind a chance to come back. And Eve Muirhead, when they put the rule in place, is quoted as saying, I think it's one of the best things the WCF has ever done. And Mm -hmm. so here's, here's a a move that this is entirely aesthetic. It's really for the pace of play and everything, everyone's cool with it. Like it's a good idea. At no point really was there that much pushback to this idea of time clocks. So the game looks better. It's more enjoyable to fans. But if you're Ken Watson, you're like, Hey, look at how pretty sliding out is.
0: No. Mm. And maybe another reason for this, Sean, is that. By making the game more palatable to television, it ups the amount of money that's available within the game. Uh, And so the players, you know, they like that as well. Yeah. Who doesn't like that? Who doesn't like that?
1: All right, Scott, let's move on to now the final category. And I put this as the theme of equipment, but it's really brooms. This is all about brooms. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, brooms. So the first one is within the spirit of the rules, that is the switch from corn brooms to a curling brush. So within the parlance, and this gets confusing if you're reading a lot about the history of sweeping, which mm-hmm. I, I hope that no one is subjected to doing a lot of reading about the history of sweeping, but the broom is the long corn broom thing that if you look at Matt Dunstone's like brush that he throws with right that's a broom and then the brush is what you see people sweeping with now
0: yeah the push brush
1: yes whereas the the broom is the long one so before the 1950s most brooms were made of corn strands and then in 1958 fern marcheseau invented the corn straw in the center of the broom known as the blackjack
0: and that's kind of the boomer
1: yeah Where you get that good slapping sound.
0: Thwack, thwack, thwack. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So if you see those old videos, black and white videos, early TV briars, this is what the the guys are using. And Mm -hmm. you're right. So you're standing kind of with a wide base, feet, at least shoulders apart, and you're thwapping it back and forth, uh, sort of between your legs and back out. Mm -hmm. And from all accounts, I've mercifully never swept with one of these. But from all accounts, <laughs> very difficult on the arms, a lot of blisters, yeah. uh, just a yeah. painful experience.
0: Yeah, the shoulders, tough. Yeah. Now, our
1: father had one, I remember, when we grew up. And I, I vaguely recall going to a, a game where he was using it.
0: Yeah, I feel like uh, Paris, Ontario.
1: Wow, that would have been pre-me.
0: I'm- no, no, uh, I think he, we went back for Bonspiels where... Uh, okay. In, in Paris, and I remember him, yeah, he had sort of a blue cover yes. over
1: top of it. Flapping it up. Yeah. Yeah. So we those that's sort of the standard. You do start to see the synthetic come in, but then the same design. And mm-hmm. then in the 1960s, mostly in Scotland, you start to see the brush, the push brush. And this right. is popular with older players and rec players at the time because it's so much easier both to learn and physically on you, it's a lot easier to use. Right now there's debate in the competitive circles around what was more effective to use the broom that everyone had been using forever or the brush. Mm -hmm. And from one account, Paul Gossel, who was the world junior championship team in 1976 and 1978, they used the brush. So they are the first competitive team to find success with the brush. And it's interesting because you have teams like Tom and Jim Wilson, the front end on Rick folks team in 1980s, the, the Richardson's, they used the the corn brooms throughout their career. So this is after yeah. Gossel and his team find success because they feel as though the corn broom, that motion is the most effective to use. Right. And we see it all the way up to 1987 uh, team Ontario and the Briars, the last, Individual or the last team to use this. And we see a couple corn brooms in the early 1990s, but Mm -hmm. at no point was there a discussion of, oh, the brush is cheating because it's easier to use. It was what is more effective. And it seemed to be just more of a a debate. So Hmm. much so that not only does nobody get accused of cheating for using the brush versus the broom, that in 1991, when Kevin Martin was at the world championship he decided to use a corn broom while skipping. And mm. he was accused of doing this to make sure there was a lot of debris on the ice. So much so that Scottish skip at that event, David Smith called Kevin Martin, quote, a dirty cheater. <laughs> so, yeah. so here's a case where the old technology is almost seen as the one to use. If you want to cheating. cheating and there's Warren Hansen has talked about how the modern stone wouldn't play well with corn brooms that the, the two just right. don't match
0: at yeah, all. If there's there's too much chaff on the ice from the corn broom, yeah. you know, the, the sharp stones going to pick it and it's going to pick more.
1: Yeah. But so, so here's a case where the development isn't outside of the spirit of the game. It's just a case of what is more effective and there's questions surrounding it, but there's no accusations of cheating. nobody, is going to Paul Galson and saying, hey, you guys are cheating by using this, the same way Ken Watson was accused of cheating or the way the Fennec curlers were accused of cheating.
0: Right. And and rather than trying to find a way to cheat, they're they're finding a way that that they believe is more effective within the bounds of the rules. Yes. Right. So there was no rule about this, but I'm sure there were people who looked at them and said, well, that's not curling.
1: Maybe, but certainly not with the same vitriol as we've seen in some of the other examples and not with the same vitriol we're about to talk about. (laughs) Yes. So I I think you know what example I'm going with for the one that's not within the spirit of the rules. This is the directional fabric, the broom gate, if you will. Uh, On a quick Mm -hmm. side note, I really wish the DNC had their headquarters in the 1960s at a Holiday Inn and then every (laughs) minor controversy, we wouldn't have to add the suffix of gate to it. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, that's a small aside. So, of course, the directional fabric. This is a recent development. I pulled some clips. or I didn't pull some clips. I watched some clips that were pulled by curling clips. Who, by the way, unbelievable job. I'm so excited that this person is doing this. It's amazing.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, in the 2015 Masters, this is kind of where it comes to a head. Gushu is only using one sweeper. Uh, Laycock is also... They're using the new hardline brooms with the inserts. Uh, mm-hmm. Gushu talks about how uncomfortable it was. There's accusations of cheating. Steve Laycock, in, in a way, only Steve Laycock could. He's like, I don't know if it goes too far, but we're going to use it,
0: uh, which is great. Well, you know, it's, we've just got to d- d- follow the science and <laughs> yeah. do what we do.
1: Yeah. So in, in that event, Glenn Howard actually asked Steve Laycock not to use the brooms in a tiebreak. And to use hair brooms instead and laycock said no he said right and so
0: at this time hair brooms were well understood to to be better at carving a stone or better at affecting the flight of a stone than uh, the other synthetic fabric brooms
1: well they, they were better on frosty ice
0: because they would get down and get into the further. pebble
1: more effectively yeah yeah. So there's tension there. Uh, Thomas Ulsrud at this event asked Reed Carruthers not to use the brooms and Reed Carruthers voluntarily stopped in that game. Uh, mm. All the teams signed a deal that the directional fabric, they would turn it inside out for this event. Even that didn't, didn't sway any of the tension. There was a lack of trust. And it really came mm. down to the question of integrity of the game. And what do we want sweeping to do? And, mm-hmm. this was it's 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 insane in retrospect how big of a story this was huge story the national did stories on this yeah canada's public broadcaster (laughs) in their major hour-long nightly show devoted time to brooms yeah so in one of those story in one of those stories uh jerry peckham from curling canada he talked about how there's a threshold for what you want curling brooms to do and what you want the sweeping to do. And there's a lot of, of discussion about this. Our friend Lori Eddy, she wrote a piece for the Curling News in December 15, uh, December 2015, excuse me, talking about the stories of fighting, yelling, tears, people not shaking hands and calling each other cheaters are ruining the reputation of our sport. And here's my next concern. If nothing changes with the rules, there's going to be a if you can't beat them attitude. Our game's integrity is on the line.
0: Yeah, and of course, the sweeping is supposed to do something. Otherwise, why would you have sweeping, Yeah, right? But the question is, how much is too much? Right. Right, right. Yeah,
1: and and so in 2016, in the middle of of an event, the players had a bit of a summit. Glenn Howard put out a statement saying that Uh, All the teams had come to an agreement that the new directional material needs to be removed from our sport. Uh, They're not here to negotiate it. Uh, Quote, the stakes are high and the curling world is watching us. Shame on all of us for letting this get to where we are now. Shame on anyone who understands the issue and the technology and does not want to be compliant moving forward. Shocking me that that Hmm. statement comes out and so it's all about integrity Stephen Colbert famously did a segment on this on his show and he pointed out that without integrity the next time someone uses the Manitoba tuck to hit an in off for an angle raised takeout it'll be meaningless (laughs) I thought was a pretty good line yeah so we have of course the rules that are put in place for 2016 uh the on on the the directional material the fabric is outlawed in 2016 And we have a a case where uh, there's a quote from Al Cameron after Curling Canada adopts the World Curling Federation rule, where he says that everyone was in agreement that last year what was taking place on the ice simply wasn't in the spirit of curling. Last Mm. year we were finding that sweeping was being used to make a rock curl more and make it stop or slow down. And that's just not what sweeping is all about. So here we have a case, this technology, this advent of sweeping is deemed to be not in the spirit of the game whereas the earlier shift from brooms to brushes no question that that's within the spirit of the game
0: right interesting so yeah if we look back and think about the spirit of the game is respect for each other for all the curlers Mm -hmm. and respect for the game itself so what the sweeping controversy was doing was above all in my opinion not showing respect for your opponents at the beginning right it was hey i've found a way to use something external in the game to give my team an advantage that you don't know about
1: i guess i mean everyone can buy the brooms like it wasn't
0: right but at but at first you didn't know that it was because of the material that's true
1: that's true some teams picked up on it faster.
0: And, and you might say, you know, like the, the push broom using a broom instead of a brush, everybody can see that they're like, you can see that that team is using a, a brush. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so it's not, it's not termed sneaky kind right. of, right?
1: Yeah. It's not understood to be sneaky in the same way mm-hmm. that this was, but you make I would make the same argument for Ken Watson. Everyone could see. What he was doing everyone was free agreed. to try to push out
0: yeah agreed
1: the fact that and, you don't uh, that... want to doesn't mean that he shouldn't necessarily
0: yeah yeah no uh it can be argued the other way on that one for sure
1: yeah so Scott, i think going through these examples two questions really came to my mind mm-hmm. that are, are specific to curling there, there's the again there's the determinism side of it there's the resistance to technology side of it the social construction right. of all of it C- certainly the are are things that I think about regularly. And as I was going through and and reading all this stuff, I I couldn't help but in my head, wonder what all this means on on the sort of those broader, maybe more macro elements of this. But I'm curious after listening to this and, and engaging with all this, what do you think these examples tell us about the concept or the idea of the spirit of curling?
0: I think, uh, what, what I've been thinking about as we've discussed this mm-hmm. is that the spirit of curling is really the the respect for each other on the ice, uh, to me more more than the game. I guess like the game is part of that, but it's really not wanting to be seen as like tricky, right? Right, uh, seen as sort of underhanded. You want to be up front. Uh, with your opponents who you're playing against and say, listen, this is something I'm doing uh, as far as I know it's in the rules. Uh, so there it is. And it, it's just more about, like well, yeah, like I say, being upfront uh, about how you're trying to improve the game or, or make changes. Right. Uh, it's, it's the instances where it seems a little bit underhanded uh, you know, even with uh, the Ken Watson slide, you know, at, at First, you weren't allowed to do that, and then they changed the rules so you could.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's my thought. What about you?
1: I think this is all about the idea of curling. Is it a competition or is it a social game? A game. Because in each mm-hmm. case where something has been determined or you, an individual or a group of people has gotten pushback, it's when it's given them a competitive advantage in the game. So mm-hmm. that's what unifies the three examples here. It, the, the in and out turn, the Ken Watson yep. slide, and the brooms. They all gave you a competitive advantage. You can make an argument that bringing your own stones and playing with your stones could give you a competitive advantage, but let's set that aside.
0: It, but at that point, it wasn't, it wasn't a kind of competitive thing.
1: Right. So at that point, you know, so, so the other examples right at that point, yeah, the stones at that point, the time clocks, certainly not. Uh, an advantage moving from the corn to the push brush no real Mm -hmm. obvious advantage there so the the questions here and fitness certainly there's an advantage but it's not it's not in that same way you know it's it's It,
0: it's not it's not in a tricky way. It's in a hard work way, which uh, in the Protestant nation that, we are, it's, you know, Protestant work ethic, work hard, and yeah. you'll be better than the other team.
1: And it's not making an adjustment to the, the normal way the game is played, right? right? Everyone sweeps. Me being in better shape than you, or you being in better shape than me, it doesn't change anything about the game itself. We're sweeping.
0: Yeah, That's it just changes it the... The effectiveness.
1: Yeah. So in each of the cases where people get pushback, it's because they're doing something and getting a competitive advantage for it. So to me, the spirit of curling and the the legacy of the spirit of curling is that we want this to be a social game. You're out there. You're having fun. There is a competitive aspect to it, but don't do anything that will give you a competitive advantage because that goes against the spirit of the rules. You see it on hog or not hog rocks on burned rocks too, of. Mm-hmm there's a sense from a lot of people that, well, you just leave it in play because otherwise you're getting a competitive advantage. So I I think the Mm. spirit of the game is one that eschews the sense of competition and wants it to continue to be this fun, social, you're on a frozen lock in 16th century Scotland, just trying to survive. And you're all there together,
0: Mm. which is at a a complete loggerheads with, you know, the Olympics, money, uh, television revenue, all that kind of stuff yeah. that we've brought into the game in the last 20 years. Right. So those two things, we've seen them, you know, uh, conflict, uh, notably at the 2018 Olympics, uh, the, with Broomgate for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if it's there's coming a bigger reckoning, right? where curling splits into streams.
1: Yeah, and and certainly you you see it a lot. People talk about this a lot of where does the middle class of the sport go? Is there a place Mm -hmm. for a middle class of competitive like light teams who want to play? And and even the Krista McCarvels of the world, are they going to start to get phased out a little bit within this environment? So yeah, it's tough. And the other thing too to think about is There's, there's going to be new technological developments and new innovations that come in that Mm -hmm. we haven't thought of yet, that somebody is going to do something, maybe not, or maybe it's, it's Brad Thiessen backing up when he sweeps, um, that, that becomes more common, or maybe there's a way to deliver a stone that we haven't thought of yet.
0: That I'm sure there is
1: that somebody will come along and it will, they'll win a bunch And people will say, well, that's not within the spirit of the game. And I think these discussions will continue to happen as long as the idea of curling as a social game continues to be the case. And you're right. There is a conflict there with curling at the elite level and then curling at the recreational level, because I'm I'm fine with a lot of the ideas of spirit of curling at the rec level, but Mm -hmm. at the highest level as it continues to become a more professionalized space, I don't know how it, it's going to continue to work.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a reckoning coming.
1: Yeah. So there you have cool. it. I just thought this would be fun to, to look at some of the technology and uh, these through lines through the sport and how sometimes things are in conflict with the status quo. Other times things aren't in conflict with the status mm-hmm. quo, how they're dealt with all the time. I would say overall though, Scott, interestingly enough, and, and it's too early on the broom gate, I think, to actually make an assessment of it because we're still have, we still have directional sweeping. It's just the fabrics mm-hmm. are different. Mm-hmm. I think 100%, no questions. The two examples that we have now the ability to look back upon with some time and, and space between us, that the long slide and the, the addition of turns on the stones, monumentally positive changes. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine how boring curling would be or right. would you even want to do it if you were just uh, kneeling in the hack and throw, trying to throw the rock as straight as you can? It's yeah, no fun. No fun at all. Oh, I'll play
1: tiddlywinks or something.
0: Yeah. yeah. So,
1: yeah. So you know, you, you will get this frequently where, and this is something that you see in technology a lot, there's pushback, there's there's frustration, There's there's resistance, mm-hmm. but ultimately as you have time and space and things become more ubiquitous, it tends to be deemed as a positive. That's not to say that progress is linear because it's not mm-hmm. but you you will see that that resistance to things that are ultimately deemed to be positive advancements is a regular thing. So you know as we move forward in the sport, I'm just curious to see what the next thing will be And you see it with analytics a lot it's not so much a technological thing, although it is because the, the technology we have today it's easier to have large data sets to analyze and yep. process so i think we'll see it a little bit with analytics you see, and you do see it that there is some pushback to it so mm-hmm. it, it's just you know history doesn't repeat itself scott but it it certainly rhymes
0: sure does sure does
1: so there you have it our discussion over on the game of stones about innovation and curling sometimes it's cheating quote unquote and sometimes it's just the natural progression of the sport so let me know what you think about some of those things that we talked about on the show particularly if you're a fan of curling and if you have some insight into the whole idea of the spirit of curling and how we can try to reconcile these technological developments and innovation in the sport within this spirit of the game and if you did like that, please do subscribe to the Game of Stones podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. You can find us also over on GameofStonesPod.com. All of our past episodes are there, plus a couple blog posts that we've done and merch. We have Game of Stones merch. So if you go to com, there is a merch tab. All of the proceeds from the merch are going to Food Banks Canada for the t-shirts and the rest of the merch all the proceeds are going to the sandra smurler foundation which is for neonatal care and we are matching all proceeds too so if you head on over gameofstonespod.com check out some of those merch items if you want to buy one and help out those causes but as we like to say every week on the show if you don't want any of those items and you just want to make a donation we're not going to complain about that so uh so we've been doing that for just over a year now and it's gone pretty well and uh some, some of the new merch is there, too. Uh, we had just T-shirts before, and then we branched out into the baseball tees, the hoodies, and the toque. I realize it's the middle of summer, but it'll get cold again at some point, probably. So those items might, uh, might do you well. So uh, head on over to GameOfSonsPod.com. And, of course, do subscribe to this show as well if you have not yet. Wherever it is you get your podcast, do the likes, ratings, comments. Do all that good stuff. Helps other people find us. Helps grow the show. Keeps us going here. And do, of course, head on over to ActiveHistory.ca. All of our past episodes are there. Plus, all of the great written content available over on Active History. I've been really enjoying what the site has been offering over the past few weeks. So, that will do it for this week. Of course, if you want to let me know what you want to hear on the show, slam at gmail.com. Twitter at the sean graham we will be back with you again next week for another new episode but until then if you're and you see enrico palazzo please say hi for me
0: thanks for listening to the history slam podcast be sure to check out active history for more features articles and be sure to subscribe on itunes